and uh, turn in your bulletins or Bibles to 1 Corinthians, be looking in chapter 12. So, after Laura and I got married back in 2003, we uh, decided to honeymoon. We didn't decide after we were married, but we took a honeymoon um, uh, and uh, on a cruise ship. And um, wouldn't necessarily recommend it. We were like, ah, you know, there are probably better things to do on your honeymoon than, than going on a cruise. But we, did, we went on a cruise. We sailed out from Galveston, Texas, and we sailed through the Western Caribbean all the way down to the Panama Canal and back. Now, along the way, we made uh, what are called mainland stops. Mainland stops, you're sailing along, and every once in a while you need a diversion um, from the boat, and so you, you, you drop off at Cozumel or, or Jamaica, and uh, you see the sights, and you go shopping, and you eat some local food, or you pet the stingrays, excursions. Uh, and um, on one such stop, I remember Laura and I were walking through a marketplace and we're kind of on our way back. Nothing was quite impressing us at this particular stop. And so we were just kind of like walking through, strolling through, and someone was kind of trying to sell us something. And they're like, hey, you know, check this out and buy this. I can't remember the actual product that they were selling, but I remember saying... I think we're good. I think we're good. And you know what he said in response? You think you're good. <laughs> Poignant. You think you're good. And who knows what he meant when he said that back to me. But he could have meant something like this. You think you're good. You think you don't need me. Or my gifts. You think you're good. You're not sticking around here. You think you're good. This is just an interesting excursion. And you know what? I think he was right. I'm good, thanks. We say it all the time. I'm good. I'm good. I, I, we've got my, I've got a cruise ship waiting for me. All my needs are met on that cruise ship. Um... I'm heading somewhere else. This is just a, a, a thing I'm doing for a season, for an afternoon, for a morning. I'm not really hanging around here because I've got my cruise ship to take me somewhere interesting. I'm good. Thanks. I wonder how many of us are tempted to say, I'm good, thanks, to the family of God. No, 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 say, thanks for the offer, but I'm good. I have my whole life out there. Um, I'm checking in here. It's an interesting diversion. I learned a few things. Um, but I don't really need the family of God. I don't really need the body of Christ. Especially if you're a bit needy. You need something from me, so you're trying to sell me on you, and so... I've got a cruise ship of my life just, just outside the doors. My needs are met. It's me and Jesus plus a few friends. I'm going to go sail away. 
I, I certainly don't need someone who n has less than I do. How could I need them? There are other people out there with more money, more status, more power, more education. I need them for sure. But I don't need someone who has less of what I have. I don't need someone with less stability in their life. I don't need someone with less status in their life. I'm sure I could offer them something. I've been doing that all week long. But inside here, this is just a diversion. I'm good, thanks. In the last few weeks, we've been studying a letter. And it was written to one of the first urban Anglican church plants. Um, and you know what? This urban, Angl uh, this urban church plant, uh, they had a lot of upwardly mobile people saying, I'm good, thanks. They had high status in society. But then there were others whose status was diminished by that culture, or at least overlooked by that culture. And so it was getting overlooked inside the urban church. The upwardly mobile members thought they were the ones who had everything to offer. And so they would selectively offer their gifts and their special teachings and in order to help. But they didn't really need. And surely they thought that's how the kingdom of God would come. We'll get the spirit of the Lord. We'll get special revelation from the Lord. We have special talents to offer the Lord. And so once that all gets and clicked into place, then the kingdom of God will come. It's trickle-down status. It's trickle-down spirituality. There's God up here, and there's, you know, Jesus, and, and, then, and then there's the angels, but then there's us speaking angelic languages, and then, we'll, and then we'll trickle it down to the low status, low money, low education, people who have less than us in the world and less than us in the church. It'll just trickle on down, and that's how the kingdom of God will come, and it's just amazing. They just got to get with the program. They're there to receive, not give. I'm good, thanks. I'm here for them. I don't need them. So, what are we going to look at today? We are going to look at how the body of Christ, because of the gospel, operates totally differently, sees things totally differently than the way the world construes things, the way the world construes our status and our power and our influence. Things have to change when we operate in the body of Christ and as the body of Christ. Every single one of us needs the body of Christ. No matter what our needs are outside the walls of uplift, we need the body of Christ. Look with me in verse 21 of 1 Corinthians 12. We've got two different pairs of body parts that in the Corinthian world had different statuses, different, different stati, I suppose. The eye and the hand, and the head and the feet. Um, the eye was considered a high status body part by people in ancient Corinth. The hand, a low status, especially the left hand. The head, a very high status body part. The feet, extremely low status. And this is how, there was a hierarchy understood in Corinth of the body. And there was a hierarchy that they understood was at work in the church. 
The eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you. Nor, again, the head to the feet, I have no need of you. I'm good, thanks, foot. Bless your little heart. You thought you could help me? I don't need you. I'm good, thanks, hand. I can see everything. I'm one of the most brilliant organs in this institution. Sure, you can, you can receive from me, but I don't particularly need you. And Paul is saying, Paul is writing to this first urban church, that's not true. That is not true. You need someone who annoys you. You need someone who lacks your spiritual gift. You need someone who gets, who gets all worked up over going to the local, local temple and, and eating some of the meat. You need someone with less money. You need someone who's in that stage of life that I used to be in, but I'm not in anymore, and I'm so glad. You need them. This, this mindset of I'm good, thanks, had left this local church totally impoverished. Why? Because I'm good, thanks, works outside the church. So why wouldn't they just integrate it in? Because God has chosen to channel his power in low status, invisible, easily ignored members of the body of Christ. God has chosen to channel his very power through low status, invisible, easily ignored members of the body of Christ. If we want to commune with God, he has sent people to help us do that. If we want to meet with God and be challenged by the word of God and and to grow in Christ. He has, he has put aside, set aside members of his body to help us. But they are the ones that we are most likely to ignore. The ones who are most likely to overlook. The ones who are most likely to keep our distance from. Not receive their gifts. Verse 22, on the contrary, the parts of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable. The parts of the body that seem like an excursion is the main reason that you came. The parts of the body that we would choose to ignore or forget or even amputate are essential. Jesus Christ has personally selected people who seem weak and he's ordained them to bless the church, to minister his power to the rest of the church, to reveal his glory and reveal his beauty to you, to the body, and to the world. Here's what Paul had to say at the beginning of the letter. It's not printed. Just listen. He says, the foolishness of God is wiser than men. Isn't that interesting? The foolishness of God is wiser than men, and the weakness of God is stronger than men. For consider your calling, brothers and sisters. Not many of you were wise according to worldly standards. Not many were powerful. Not many were of noble birth. But God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. God chose what is low and despised in the world, even things that are not, to bring to nothing things that are, so that no human being might boast in the presence of God. He is the source of your life in Jesus Christ, whom God made our wisdom and our righteousness and sanctification and redemption. Therefore, as it is written, let the one who boasts, 
boast in the Lord. That's what Paul wrote at the beginning of this letter. God chose what is weak in the world. God chose what is lowly in the world. God chose people that we feel entitled to unchoose. God chose them, and he chose them for us. He chose and set them apart for a special ministry to the whole church. And he personally selected them to help us stop boasting about ourselves. He personally selected them so that we can rightly order our view of God. He is correcting our view of ourselves and of God. He chose them as ministers to help us see things rightly. Because you and I are so tempted to think of ourselves as self-sufficient. We're not. To an, as just an individual. We're not just individuals. As upwardly mobile. We're not upwardly mobile. We're all going to die. How downwardly mobile can you get? <laughs> God chose them to reveal reality to us. And if we don't see them, we won't see reality. God chose them. What could be more sacred than God choosing them to set in order our relationship with God? It doesn't say he chose them because everybody is really special. That's true. In the context of the gospel, everyone's special because God said they're special. He says God chose them so that we'd stop boasting and so that we would start boasting in God. They're setting our joy in order. They're setting our worship in order. They're helping us see things rightly. The people we are tempted to ignore or to overlook are indispensable agents of God with indispensable gifts. They're indispensable agents of God with indispensable gifts. Now, we might just ask, why is that the case? Why did God choose what is weak and lowly in the world to bless us? And what gifts are we tempted to completely not even know about? We're going to figure them out this morning by understanding and unpacking this text. And it's important that we do, because if we don't, you know what we're going to do? We're going to get back on the cruise ship. We're going to keep saying, I'm good, thanks, our whole life. We'll go impoverished if we don't understand what the gifts are. If we don't start living in them, practicing them. Our view of the gospel will get, will somehow become just another way to become a successful person. We won't see things rightly if we don't understand what their gifts are. We'll leave the gifts unopened, is a simple way to say it. They'll just sit there, <laughs> unopened, collecting dust. So let's look at the gifts. The first gift of lower ranking status members of Christ's body is the spiritual power which is modestly cloaked. That's the first gift that we get from people who underrank us. Spiritual power that is modestly cloaked. Verse 23 says this, And on parts of the body that we think less honorable, we bestow the greater honor. And our unpresentable parts are treated with greater modesty, which our more presentable parts do not require. Now, Paul, who's writing this letter, is drawing a simple, slightly shocking parallel between the body of Christ and the human body. And essentially what he's saying is this, the modestly cloaked 
parts of our body are extremely important. Okay? The modestly cloaked parts of our body are extremely important. We don't put clothes on them out of shame, but out of reverence. That's what Paul is saying. They're not discardable parts of our body simply because we cover them. They are irreplaceable parts of our body, and we honor them. When we receive the gifts from the Christians we'd otherwise ignore, um, we're honoring the spiritually empowered person God has honored. When we receive the gifts of lower, under-ranking Christians, we are honoring people that God has already honored. We are choosing the modestly cloaked minister that God has chosen for us. So let me give you one example of modestly cloaked spiritual power. And that is simply spiritual maturity. Let's reflect on this for a moment. Um, Sometimes people make choices to follow Jesus, and that means they lose status. It means they lose face. It means they don't self-promote as much. It means that they're not going to adorn themselves the way the world adorns themselves, metaphorically speaking. And we're just going to assume, oh, this person, I don't have anything to gain from them because they have less status than I do. In some cases, it's because they're following Jesus. They have... They're just more humble, okay? Everybody goes, oh, they're not, a, they're not winning. And so, and so maybe, they ha- maybe I have something to offer them. They don't necessarily have something to offer me. Their presence and their example challenges us to stop boasting in ourselves. It's a personally challenging thing to be around them because we're like, they have things to boast about and they are so humble. And they're so Christ-like. And, and, and actually, it's really challenging me. We need to honor them by befriending them and sometimes apprenticing themselves ourselves under them. Our bishop, uh, Stuart Ruck, some of you know him, uh, he's discovered this kind of relationship with uh, his fellow priests and bishops uh, in Africa, especially the country of Nigeria. Um, now, in the eyes of Christ, there's, there's no status difference between any minister in any part of the world at all. But the world ranks things differently. If you're from the United States of America, part of majority culture, you outrank everybody else. And so, uh, and in, within the system of Africa, in some cases, Nigerians are lower ranked for stupid reasons. Early on in his ministry, Stuart Ruck went over to Nigeria and discovered the incredible spiritual power of that country, the incredible godliness, the incredible maturity. And he said, let me, let me be apprenticed under you. Let me learn under you. They formed a bond so tight that it's still happening today. And I asked Stuart to, this week, I said, what have you gained from your friendships with your fellow bishops, your fellow priests from, from Nigeria? And he says this, I hardly know where to begin. They have taught me to live by faith. They have taught me how to minister in the power of the Holy Spirit. They have taught me to be far more concerned with asking for God's anointing than caring about ministry performance. They have taught me the warmth of deep friendship and affection. They have helped me think about ways to better serve the poor. You know, the suffering church around the world has fewer protections and freedoms than the American church. Now, we might implicitly think, oh, that's because we're more special or we've done something... What? 
Because CNN thinks that we outrank? That, is that? No. Spiritual power is a lot of times just modestly cloaked. Um, the Lord has chosen. He's actually given them a very special calling. <laughs> he has chosen that the suffering church around the world, especially in the global south, will suffer for the name of Christ and therefore be our models and be our mentors and be our teachers. They have modestly cloaked spiritual maturity, which is ours to receive. We just have to see things rightly because we see things in an upside down way so often because of our American lens. We need a gospel lens so that we, our eyes will be open to see that a lot of times spiritual power is modestly cloaked. Another example of modestly cloaked spiritual power is just childlike humility. It is so refreshing and challenging. It's a true blessing to be around someone with childlike humility. Someone the Lord gifts the body of Christ with. Who knows beyond a shadow of a doubt that they are loved by God. They trust God like a father. Sometimes they talk about him in really free ways. They, they don't try to use the right language. They don't try to use the right facial expressions. They just have faith and trust in God. They just love God. They just know they're a child of God. They've got some relatively uncomplicated joy. And sometimes they don't have a filter for the joy. You know, it's been, it's been so good for me to be a father. Because when I get around childlike joy and faith and trust in God, it challenges me, it blesses me. It blesses me. Some of you have friends in your life who are like this, family members who are like this. You wouldn't necessarily choose to be around this person because they don't necessarily have something to give you. But they have everything to give us. They have everything to give us. And we need every person that God has chosen to gift the church with who has this childlike humility. This is one of the reasons that we, that we encourage people to volunteer for the children's ministry. Because, you know, it might seem, well, I'm, I'm giving something. You get to be around childlike humility. There is unmistakable joy in our children's chapel. We needed the body of Christ when the world had discarded it. We needed the body of Christ the most when it was cloaked the most. Consider the death of Jesus Christ. We needed the spiritual power inherent in the death of Jesus Christ. But most of the world at the moment of his death had rejected it. They didn't have eyes to see what was happening, that it was a gift, that it was powerful, that it was their entrance into the kingdom of God, that it was love. They didn't understand what a gift it was. But when we look at the death of Jesus Christ, we need it the most. It, we understand it as a gift. We embrace it as a gift. God chose Jesus Christ even in his mangled, near death, and fully, death, fully dead form. He honored him. He chose him. He used him to shame the strong, to set things in order. 1 Corinthians 15 says this, What is sown is perishable. He's speaking about the death of Christ. What is raised is, is, is imperishable. It is sown in dishonor. Consider how dishonorable was the death of Christ. But then he was raised in glory. It was sown in weakness. It is raised in power. When we honor, 
spiritual power that is modestly cloaked. We are by extension honoring Jesus Christ. We are honoring the one whom the Father honored. People in the body of Christ with less status than our own help us see Jesus. It helps it. They help us see Jesus. They help us see our future hope. They help us to stop boasting in ourselves. So the first gift is spiritual power that is modestly cloaked. The second gift they give us is the bonds of family. The bonds of family. Verse 24, the second half of verse 24. But God has so comprised the body, giving greater honor to the part that lacked it, that there may be no division in the body, but that the members... We uh, can responsibly translate this as limbs and organs may have the same care for one another. Do you understand the implications of these verses? Do you understand the implica- Do you understand what Paul is saying? Here's a here's a way to restate: You and I are not like Legos. Attaching temporarily, attaching artificially, and then detaching whenever we want. You and I are like limbs attached to a body that God composed. We aren't self-selecting Legos that create interesting structures and then, and then, and then, and then detach and create another structure and just move on with our life. We are like limbs of a body that God has himself personally composed. If we detach ourselves out of convenience, out of I'm good thanks, the whole body is hurt, and so are we. Most of our associations in our life are Lego associations, and there's not, it's, that's not wrong. But consider how Lego-like our life in Chicago is, okay? We attach ourselves to a friendship or to a job, or to a neighborhood until there's something better. You know, even this very week, our, someone from our block was like, hey, it's time to plan the block party for next, next summer. And, and, um, and it's this great thing. We, we get together as neighbors every year over a weekend. And, um, and uh, it was amazing, the emails that came back. Can you please take me off this list? Can you please unsubscribe me? I no longer want to receive these emails because they don't live on the block anymore. They just don't, they just, hey, I'm a Lego. I don't know if you noticed, but I've moved on to the, the suburbs, and um, so go ahead and unsubscribe me. Thanks. Um, it's not necessarily wrong. They don't want to come to the block party anymore, but, but our lives are structured like this. I, I'm moving on. Here's my letter of resignation. I found another firm to work for. Moving on. I'm moving to a different city. No, it's fine. It's cool. I'm good. Um, if, but if that's our whole life, it's a lonely life. I have so many conversations with lonely people because they're like, how can I be a Lego with all the convenience but still have the, the organic life that I long for like a limb would have? Are we just an individual who opts into a group because it's a good fit? Is that, is that essentially who we are? Are we essentially individuals that opts in and opts out, subscribes and unsubscribes, through our life. You can you see the revolutionary teaching embedded in this chapter. Paul's saying you're, you're not a Lego, you're a limb, and you need the rest of the body. 
you do, and the rest of the body needs you. You're a member of the family, not a member of a club. Let's consider two practical dimensions of this that follow in our text. Verse 26, if one member suffers, all suffer together. If one member is honored, all rejoice together. Paul's calling us to solidarity with suffering family members and with joyful family members. So we need solidarity with suffering family members. If one member suffers, all suffer together. Now, there's some of you here, you've suffered greatly. Um, and, and I imagine you read this and you t- you're like, sign me up. Sign me up. I would love to know who has gone through the pain I've gone through. I would love to know who else is struggling with battling depression, battling an addiction. I would love to know who else has lost a loved one and is still grieving or, 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 or um, uh, been through a painful divorce pass through a great trial of some kind. You you would love to stand with them. You would love to know who they are and to let them know, hey, I'm here for you and, and and I know something of what you've gone through and I care about you and I'm here. And so you you've suffered greatly and you're like, sign me up. The challenge to obey this text is for someone who has not suffered in the same way. Um, people who haven't suffered, and, and part of it is we don't always know what to say. We don't, we, want, we don't want to say the wrong thing. We don't want to make it worse. And so in some cases we're afraid of conversations and connections with people who are going through deep suffering. We, we feel like we have to fix it. We feel guilty. And here's a practical way forward. If... If, if you're someone who has not suffered in the same way as another member of our, of our church, uh, listen to their story. Listen, listen to their testimony of their pain and, and how God has met them. There's no pressure to fix anything. Reflect, simply reflect back what you're hearing and, and ask them to help you better understand. Sit with them in silence. Because being present is, is better than being verbose in those situations. Ask Emmanuel Jesus to help you be present to them in the same way that he has been present with them. That's one way that we can, we can stand in solidarity with those who are suffering. Be with them. We need them. We need suffering members of the body. We need them. We need them to tell their stories. We need them to share their pain. We, we need to, to get access to reality. Otherwise, we'll just keep boasting in ourselves. We won't boast in the Lord. We need to hear how God has met them in their suffering and in their stories. In some cases, we need to be shaken up a little bit. We need to be sobered. We need maturity. Don't you want that? Don't you want to be a fully mature person who has access not only to the joys of life, but also to the pain of life? But you're part of a, of a body that holds it all together and has access to the power of the gospel. Don't you want that? There's another side to this, though. We need solidarity with joyful family members. Solidarity with joyful family members. Paul says, if one member is honored, all rejoice together. Now, if, maybe you're in a joyful season. It's not hard to rejoice with someone who rejoices when you're yourself rejoicing. And you're like, yeah, I'll totally join you on the dance floor and give you a hug and, you know, and, 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 and I'm totally with you and for you. And I think the challenge here is for those who don't feel the solidarity with the person who's rejoicing. Maybe we kind of wish they would suffer like we've suffered. It's not fair that you get to rejoice like that. I remember when, when Laura was pregnant and, um, 
it, we were shocked that some people, some other mothers would come up to her and be like, you had no idea how much your life's going to change. <laughs> oh, yeah, you're going to see. Mm-hmm. You're going to see what it's like to be a mom. And they didn't rejoice with her. It was a really joyful thing when she was pregnant uh, to begin with and beyond. Just you wait. Do you ever feel, do you ever, do you ever think that to yourself when someone's having a great day? <laughs> or, or when they share some good news? Oh, you got into med school. Really excited for you. Just you wait. Oh, yeah, you're getting married? Oh, that's great. You're engaged. Happy now. Everyone's happy at first. But just you wait. You're weaker than me because you haven't gone through what I've gone through. I outrank you because of my suffering. We need joyful members. We do. We need people who are rejoicing. We need people who are happy. We need people who can tell us testimonies of how God's provided for them. We need people to point us to the resurrection of Jesus and to, to the joyful ending of all things. We need people who, who can remind us of the hope that we have. And they need us. Now finally, verse 27. Now you are the body of Christ and individually members of it. Let's translate this the proper Chicago way. Use guys are members of the body of Christ. Use guys. This is plural. Y'all are members of the body of Christ and individually members of it. Don't cut yourself off from the body of Christ because you need the body of Christ. Just Is there anyone that you don't need here? Is there anyone here where you're like, I'm good, thanks? Because you outrank them in some way? Is there anyone that you are entitled to ignore because of they're, they're, they're a little kid or, 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 or they're older than you or that seem like they have nothing to offer you? Is there anyone you're like, I can totally blow that person off in a nice way, of course. I don't need them. I don't need them. Uh, Henry Nowen was a, was a uh, world-renowned professor, uh, taught at Harvard, and... Um, he thought about God, and he felt called to leave his post at Harvard and join a community called La Arc, uh, which was a home for, for um, people with a men mental handicap. It was basically their home. And so he, he went from the best and the brightest who wanted to rule the world to men and women who had few or no words and were considered, as he says, at best, marginal to the needs of our society. People who thought, I don't need people in La Arc. Oh, I need people at Harvard, but I don't need La Arc. And he felt called to be downwardly mobile and to live a common life with them. He says, this, the first thing that struck me when I came to live in a house with mentally handicapped people was that their liking or disliking me had absolutely nothing to do with any of the many useful things I had done until then. Since nobody could read my books, my books could not impress anybody. And since most of them never went to school, my 20 years at Notre Dame, Yale, and Harvard did not provide significant introduction. Remember how we see things wrongly? We're so culturally conditioned, we don't even realize how culturally conditioned we are. 
My considerable ecumenical experience proved even less valuable, he says. When I offered some meat to one of the assistants during dinner, one of the handicapped men said to me, don't give him meat. He doesn't eat meat. He's a Presbyterian. <laughs> hey, here's his conclusion. You can read more about this in his book, In the Name of Jesus, which is about Christian leadership. He says, These broken, wounded, and completely unpretentious people force me to let go of my relevant self. The self that can do things, show things, prove things, build things. And I would add the part of ourselves that goes, I'm good, thanks. I've got a cruise ship to catch. And they force me to reclaim that unadorned self in which I am completely vulnerable, open to receive and give love regardless of any accomplishments. An unadorned self that is vulnerable and open to receive love regardless of any accomplishments. What a healing thing that would be for most of us. To be so rightly ordered in the body of Christ where we all of a sudden stop boasting in ourselves and we start boasting in God through the love and ministry of people that we outrank but actually have something profound to give us which is the very ministry of Emmanuel Jesus himself you need the body of Christ and so do I in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit Amen. I'd like you now to stand as we